Hello, TTB community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me today is the agog Robert Demena. Agog, please yeah. define. It's like curious. It's usually uh, in discussing something very specific, like you're agog to see London, you're agog to hear something fancy or whatever. Hmm. Uh, okay, yeah. so well, thank you. Travel relates thank to your you. curiosity. Interesting word. All right, yeah. and. Each week, we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and our own personal travel experiences. Today on the podcast, we have Adam Schlutler, and he brought us through this remarkable story from a depressive state in his hometown to meeting people throughout Europe. It was truly uh, inspirational, and we learned a lot. We learned a lot about his experiences, his mental state, his ability to go out of his comfort zone, and ultimately like what he learned about people. Great conversation, and we really hope you enjoy it. Before we jump into the conversation, we want to give you a the travel tip of the week, which is very in line with the conversation. Introduce yourself. And you're... Uh, I, I might let the conversation speak for this travel tip, I think, you but uh, yeah, <laughs> expand your, uh, it, 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 go out of your comfort zone, I guess. And so before we get into the conversation, check out some of the cool things we offer. The Traveler's Blueprint offers a travel journal and planner that is available for $7.99 on our website. It is a PDF, so you can fill it out online or in paper, and it is completely reusable. We also offer a Become Your Own Travel Agent five-part video tutorial. Part one is navigation, two is booking airfare, three blogs, research, and reviews, four itinerary building, and five safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. You can find that on our website and it is $25. We also offer travel consulting. So for more information on that, go to our website and feel free to send us a DM on social media or an email. Lastly, you can join us and if you want to, you can you can be a part of our Travel Around Table series. That's where we sit down with a group of, of travelers, send us your email with your name, your website, and a few travel-related topics that you enjoy discussing, and we will get back to you. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Adam, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because it's a pretty unique side of travel. Now, you've been to 20 countries, you've had thousands of conversations, all with the purpose to bring people closer together one person at a time. Now, those are your words. They're on your website. Can you, for the audience, elaborate on, on what this actually means? Yeah, so um, I was... I've been to about 40-something countries in my lifetime now, and uh, I was very fortunate to grow up in a family that took me traveling internationally when I was young. Uh, we started when I was in, in my teens, and we went to very complicated places. For I, I don't know why. I don't think my parents knew what they were doing. They would just book cheap trips to Central America or South America and would have no plans, and there's this very optimistic, and we would have to uh, – we would really have to – connect with the community around us to figure out what the hell was going on. Like we really didn't know where we were. We'd fly into a city and then we'd have a little place to stay, but then like, we didn't know where to go or what to do or if we were safe or how safe we were. And so we really had to like connect with people. And, and I just watched my, my dad was my big role model at that. And uh, so I just watched that and I thought that was very, very normal. Um, so yeah, I moved back to, I'm from St. Louis, the, the Midwest originally. Um, but once that travel was just inside of me, you know, I, it was impossible for me to continue living in the Midwest. I mean, I wanted to see oceans and mountains and, and I, I knew what was out there now. So it just really sparked my love for travel. Um, so, you know, fast forward, I went to, I graduated college at Mizzou, University of Missouri, business degree, sociology minor, communications minor. I was going the normal route, just going to, uh, Move back to St. Louis, work in business, um, and I ended up going through a big breakup, right, uh, with a girl that I thought I was going to marry and I was going to have a family, and that was my whole life. And uh, when that was all taken from me, I just didn't know what to do. And so the only thing I did know what to do was, was just to start traveling and uh, just to start moving and seeing. And and I had zero money, literally no money. I was waiting tables at restaurants, and I'd save up a few hundred dollars and. I just bounce around the country and sleep in parks and, uh, you know, just connect with people uh, 
and you know you don't have to have money to connect with people and but also because i had no money uh, i had to ask for help and i needed it and that was really cool because you know it's, it's hard to ask for help and uh in these times you know it, it really reinforced to me how much the world loves to help and people get a lot of meaning out of helping and uh and so it just it it showed that to me um so fast forward we're skipping a lot here but uh moved to LA, moved to Mexico. From Mexico, was sponsored by an outdoor company to travel the US, Canada, and Mexico to uh, find the best place to live out of all three countries. Um, I went 22,000 miles and I picked where I live now, Coeur d'Alene. This is about uh, 10 years after graduated college and, and my life changed in that first time. Um, and now, uh, you know, I've been traveling the world for the last 10 years. And so I was like, okay, I'm ready to settle down was with a wonderful girl, uh, moved to Coeur d'Alene. We had spent 10 months on this crazy trip. It was a camping company. We had to camp for 10 months. So we camped for all of 10 months minus about two weeks. Uh, so like real sporadic showers and little stuff. And again, we didn't have much money, but but I loved it. I mean, it was, very, it was a great part of my life. And, uh, and we moved to this place. I didn't know a single person. Um, didn't know uh, like had never been through a Northwestern winter. And, uh, and so once reality kind of came back in our relationship and, and we had some, you know, we weren't perfect and, and we were kind of running from some, some stuff too. Um, and so once we settled down, that stuff came back and, and our relationship fell apart. And uh, I, I tried to save it. Um, she wanted to break it off. And so we ended up breaking up. And then here I was again, uh, but now in a place where I didn't know anybody. Uh, didn't know what to do about it. I've never been good with technology. Um, most of this 10 years, I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a phone when I lived in Mexico for three and a half years. I didn't have a phone when I was bouncing the country. Um, and so I'm just weird, like very, I'm 35, but I, I, I act like a 75 year old with technology. And so, so when I was going through the winter time in this place where I didn't know anybody, uh, I was like, well, I, I, I think, you know, I was just really lonely. And I was like, I think uh, it's supposed to like, use social media and that's what I think people are doing and that makes people feel connected. And uh, I, I didn't know what to do. Um, I, I really love people. And again, over these 10 years of travel, I had just fallen in love with uh, just connecting with people and just simplicity, just simple conversations and spending time with people in person. And uh, now I, I didn't know how to meet people and uh, was kind of detached from my travels. And, and so I was like, oh, well, Social media seems like that's that's the way to do it and to meet people and uh, connect with people. So um, I started to, I, I downloaded uh, Instagram and I downloaded uh, Facebook and, and I made accounts and I tried to use that to uh, to connect with people. And then, uh, and then uh, it, so, so I did that. I, I don't know. I, I tried to use Facebook and, and Instagram, social media and all that to, uh, to connect, but it just made it worse. I mean, uh, I felt so like. It, so when you say connect, like, were you, were you like uh, adding people ran at random and just saying, hi, you know, my name's Adam. No, I had had Facebook before I, I had had it off and on. Um, and so I still, I still had it. Um, I just didn't use it. And so I just kind of started using it again, like mm -hmm. uh, brought it back. And, uh, you know, I, I think I had a thousand friends or something from people that, I had made over the years. Um, so when Instagram you say and all that, yeah, connecting, you were just reconnecting or trying to reach out to people that you had already established some kind of relationship with. It wasn't like when you were traveling with your parents at an early age, trying to get help. This was more of just a, a human interaction. Yeah, this was like, hey, I'm lonely. Like, uh, can we talk? And like, uh, I miss you. And uh, how are you doing? And you know, how's your kids? And uh, you know, I'm going through some, some shit and can we talk about it? And, you know, it was, it was sporadic and, and it was, it was okay, but, uh, you know, with the technology, it was just sporadic and, and I wanted like a little more immersive, intentional conversation with people because I was really struggling. I was really going through some stuff and having some mental health problems and, uh, was really depressed and, uh, questioning life and what I was going to do with myself. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a bad time for me. And so I was really trying whatever I could to get out of my head and to feel like I wasn't alone, but I felt very alone in this. And so I was really trying to use this. And, you know, I was getting those dopamine hits and I was getting these little messages back. And 
it was cool and it, it was okay, but uh, it wasn't creating sustainable, just kind of change for me that I needed to think. Like to be yeah. able to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, yeah. To me, yeah. it felt like this is what it was now and always going to be. Was it it's, primarily just text conversations or did you ever do like FaceTiming or Zoom calls? Never did FaceTiming, but uh, our Zoom, this is, you know, five years ago. But um, but yeah, with lots of phone calls, uh, you know, a few phone calls, I guess. But yeah, lots of texting and lots of uh, messages, you know, through, through these apps and stuff like that, through the... Uh, the uh, websites. I imagine that is that's got to be hard, right? Because <laughs> I mean, unless you're both sitting at the computer and you can see the other person typing, if you're sending a message that's heartfelt and you're looking for support or some kind of conversation, and you send that message and then you don't get a response for three or four hours, all the emotions associated with that message are either less than, at least they're not the same. So yeah, then you're getting very... back into that mindset. Yeah, it felt very disconnected, and it yeah, felt like yeah. uh, it was a conversation that was on the back burner, and and that's fair because you know, people are getting a lot of different messages, and uh, I, I've always had that disconnect. I've never really understood it because uh, you know, uh, send a message, and uh, you know, to get to wait, especially if it's an emotional, important message, you know, to to wait on a response for a couple of days would start to make me feel like they had seen it, but maybe didn't care about it, which I knew wasn't true. But, uh, you know, it just started to kind of put a crack in the, the strength of our relationship. And so then I would just be like, hey, let's meet in person. We got to talk in person. And, uh, you know, then not everyone wanted to talk in person or meet in person. I started hearing, uh, you know, people being socially anxious to talk in person and especially talk about, you know, vulnerable stuff like this and emotions. And uh, like they were fine sending little texts and stuff, but not as comfortable meeting in person to talk about emotionally intensive conversations and uh and and i also i wanted them to share with me what they're going through as much as i wanted to share with them just so that we could both keep a realistic foundation to our relationship you know that hey it's normal like i'm feeling this uh and and they're like hey i'm feeling this too and it's like okay i'm not crazy like this is something a lot of people are feeling these days but it just didn't translate through the digital communication and so i just i had to feel it i wanted to like i wanted to see uh, body language and emotions yes. and tears and and I just needed to feel that connection in person like someone was really listening to me to be able to open up to them. So how did this evolve then from reaching out to friends on Facebook to meeting strangers in foreign countries? <laughs> I just uh, I hit a wall. Uh, I tried that for probably a month and a half I would say and then um, I was, it, it was the first winter in the northwest. Winters up here are brutal. Um, no sun, uh, like 80% of the times, no sun. And so, you know, vitamin D deficiency, I was already really depressed, going through a breakup, feeling disconnected from the world. And I just totally hit a wall and I was starting to think about suicide. I was just done. I didn't know. I was kind of like starting to be resolute that, all right, this is what relationships are now is technology. And it's like, I couldn't really adjust to it as much as I tried to. So when I, I come from a great family, I really, uh, I come from a very strong family, like a, a very beautiful, strong family. And so, um, and I have great parents. And so when I started to have those thoughts, I was like, I need to fucking, and sorry if, if I cuss. Uh, You're good. You're get, good. Is that okay? Okay. I was like, I need to fucking do something to like get out of my head and get out of my house. And, uh, but the truth was I really didn't have the money to be able to travel. And so I just kind of felt landlocked and uh, I was waiting tables at a restaurant again and and, but when I had started having these thoughts, I, I just knew I had to go. And I knew I had to do where I'd found uh, my sanctuary all these other years in my life where, uh, you know, I didn't have money or I didn't have a lot of stuff, but I, I didn't ever feel alone when I was traveling around the world and when I was connected with strangers and people. So um, there was a day where I was just sitting there and I was looking at a world map and uh, was just like trying to figure out what to do. And I looked at Europe. And there's, I, I had pretty much just been a landscape photographer at this time. I had never done weddings. I had never done portraits. Uh, I didn't really know much about how to do them. Um, my eye and my expertise with photography was just about things that didn't move and things that weren't complicated, like people and how to like get that emotion out. And so, um, so yeah, I just started to think about challenge and how could I challenge myself and how could I just distract myself from, uh, the, you know, the depression and, and how could I get out of that? And so looked at Europe. I thought about Europe. 
Uh, I'd been there. I lived in Poland for a short bout. And so I was thinking about Eastern Europe and started getting me excited. And, and uh, it was kind of the first joy that I felt in a little while. And so then I was thinking, okay. And so I looked at plane tickets and I was like, I can't afford a plane ticket. And I had like $2,000 to my name at that time that I just saved up from waiting tables at restaurants. And I looked up plane tickets. I saw that there was a ticket to Copenhagen, Denmark for 600 bucks round trip. I was like, fuck, that's great. That's enough. And so I booked the flight. I just made myself book it right there. Didn't have any plans or what to do. Um, and I didn't have that much, like, you know, $1,400, but I'm still paying $950 rent at my house. And so I really didn't have much money left over after that. And so uh, I was like, well, I guess I'll be in Denmark and I'll be able to travel. And then it's like, well, what, what can I do with this? And so then I started to think about connecting with people and strangers. And I thought about trains, like I love trains and Europe, you know, trains. And so I just thought, I'll just ride a train all over Europe and I'll just like talk to people on trains, like, cause you're stuck in this place for six, seven, eight hours together. And trains are just very conversational in Europe. And, you know, uh, again, you're just stuck there for long periods of time. And I was like, but I can't afford a plane or a train ticket. And so <laughs> I literally, I swear on my life, I had no portfolio. My portfolio was just landscape photography. There's nothing about people. But I wrote out this long email to Eurail, who runs all the trains in Europe, in the EU. And I just told them mm -hmm. this crazy idea. Hey, I'm going to just try to connect with strangers. And and uh, it was actually called The World I See. I was like, I'm just going to photograph the, the world that I see, the beauty that I see in the world. And so I'll connect with strangers on a train, but whenever I see something beautiful outside of the train, I'm just going to jump off the train and just photograph it and then jump on the next train. And it was just a very ludicrous, messy idea. And I wrote it to them, didn't expect to hear it back. And for, to my surprise, they emailed back and asked a lot of questions. Like they had a lot of personal, like very specific questions. And so I went through them all, answered them all. And we set up a phone call and uh, we had this call and we just clicked. And they heard that I was just very excited and passionate about it. And so they decided to take a leap of faith. And they gave me what's called a forever pass. It's a 30-day uh, unlimited pass on any train, any country, any time in Europe. Um, no reservations. You can just hop on any train, any place, and just go anywhere you want. Wow. And so I was like, well, I can't afford to sleep. Like, <laughs> I can afford, like, hostels and stuff. But I was like, now I can just sleep on the train. So now... I was, that was it. That was all I had put together, just a ticket to Copenhagen and a, a pass in the trains. And I had no ideas outside of that, other than just trying to push myself. Challenge. What year yeah. did you start this? This was five years ago now. Okay. So, yeah, 2016, I guess. Wow. Okay. And so you, you fly to Copenhagen. And so, so you fly to Copenhagen and you land in Copenhagen. You said you didn't have a plan. When did you realize you wanted to start meeting people at random was it on the train or did you do it in the city in you know in the city yeah um again this was all about me getting out of my own head like i just wanted to really push myself creatively and to just challenge myself do whatever i didn't want to do just be out of my comfort zone and so called the world i see and a lot of the beauty i see in the world is is people but I, i'm an introvert i'm terrified to talk to people and i'm terrified of rejection truly as an artist and, and just, you know, pride. And so I was like, well, fuck, I, I can photograph. I'm just going to go through these cities and countries and Europe's a very beautiful uh, aesthetic. And so I'm just going to photograph people that are just sitting in these beautiful like scenes, like, you know, behind the architecture and, and uh, you know, the columns or whatever it was. Um, and so I started to do that and I started to just photograph people, but they never knew that I was taking their picture. I would just take it and I'd run away or take it and, hide or they just wouldn't see it and then you know that was cool but it was like it's way too easy i can do this forever so i was like okay i'm going to take the picture but then i'm going to ask that person for the picture after i've already taken one from farther away from them so that if they reject me i still have some semblance of uh you know what i saw and so then i started to do that but i was so scared uh, my first night i was literally thrown up in my airbnb um just terrified didn't know what to do like didn't even know how to start this and just thinking about like just talking to strangers and uh, getting rejected I knew I'd be rejected a lot and so um so when I like wanted to start talking to people I was like I need to think of what to say I got to say the right thing and so I made up this script and uh the script was 
photographing people all over the world, but only when I see something beautiful. And in this moment, this is so beautiful. And would you mind if I took your photograph? And I was like, oh, that's, that's poetic and poignant and passionate. But the problem was um, I'm walking up to strangers and I'm telling them a script. And so they felt like I was selling them something. They felt like it was fake. Like they didn't, you have one millisecond to get their trust. And it was broken immediately by a presentation. And they could tell that I was terrified. But they, And so they're trying to read my energy, but then I get them a script and they're like, oh, like this, he's trying to sell me a picture or something. They didn't get it. And um, so I just, I just kept trying that over and over and over. And I was rejected. I easily 80% plus of the time. Um, and then the few that would say yes, like it just fueled me, it just lit me on fire to like keep figuring this out. But I was so beaten down by the rejection. I didn't have any backup plan. Like I, it was either figure this out or go back to my house where I barely made it out the last time. And so I was, I was committed to figuring this out, but I was so beaten down by so much of the rejection that I just was like, fuck this script. Like, I'm just going to like, just start talking to people and like it. And people could see that I was, I was like beaten down and uh, that by beaten down it had taken my energy. And when I didn't have as much energy, I was just very vulnerable with people. And so I would just vulnerably ask people and like, you know, I was like almost expecting a rejection, but then when that vulnerability came into it, no one rejected me. Everyone trusted me because it, if they felt it was genuine. And so I was like, what the hell is going on with this? And so then I just threw that script in the trash and just went up and just started to talk with people. And then no one, it went from 80% down to 50%, down to 30%. And it just kept going down and down and down from there. And I just kept trying to, just to understand what was happening. And then I would get the, I could, then I could always get the picture, but then I wanted more. I wanted, then I started to figure that out. So it's like, well, I'll just put the camera away after and just, and just try to have a conversation with these people. And it just all built from that. Hmm. That's really cool. So yeah. authenticity, yeah, authenticity. People are very. I've noticed this too. People are very easily able to spot what is someone just wanting to have a conversation versus wanting someone wanting to sell something. Yeah, well, gut instinct's real, right? Yeah. That that yeah. that animal instinct of knowing when a situation is is easy or could be potentially harmful. We all feel that we all have that sensation and we feel it throughout every day, you know, especially if you're, you're in a city or something and you're around a lot of people. That's um, the purpose. Like it should be there. Yeah. 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 It's a great, it's, it, it's great. It's great when it, when it's uh, happy and <laughs> I guess it's also great when it can steer you away from potential harm. Um, so now I guess, do you have anybody specific and it doesn't have to be in Copenhagen? Um, well, here first, can you just give us like very briefly like a rundown of your the the logistics like wh which direction did you go to just list off some of the cities so we have like the the foundation like the geographic foundation uh laid yeah. out and then we can get back into the people yeah so i i zero 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 plans like i had a, a ticket to copenhagen and a train ticket i had zero plans and again i, I expected to live on the trains because i had nowhere else i didn't have enough money to sleep anywhere else and so I ended up in that 30 days, I spent 134 hours on the trains, which came out to, it was about six plus hours a day that I was on trains all the time. Wow. Um, and some days it was 14 hours a day, sometimes it was zero. So, you know, just the overall average, but I lived on the trains. And um, so I, I wanted to do every country that I could and make the most of it. So I did 14 countries in Europe in that 30 days. Um, and I was just scorching. I was just cruising through the whole thing. Um, and then the other six countries came in other places around the world um, from that. But I wanted to spend a lot of time in Eastern Europe too. Uh, and, and I kind of, I had found it was much harder for me to get to the, so the, the, the core of the person that I was talking to be in more in bigger cities and places where there's more hustle and bustle and people are distracted mm -hmm. and people don't have enough time to sit and talk with you. And I remember living in Poland and, and, you know, these small villages, these people that are just so wonderful and third world countries where, you know, they don't have all the work and the chaos and they're happy to sit there and spend time with you and have a meal with you and, and even have a glass of wine or a dinner with you. And, uh, and so I wanted to spend a lot of time in Eastern Europe. And then I also wanted to go to more complicated places to, once I'd really started to understand this whole premise to, to show people how 
vulnerability and intuition, of course, intuition combined with vulnerability and a willingness to connect with people can open up even the most complicated, even the most, I don't like to say dangerous, but places with a lot of poverty and crime in them, you can still navigate these places with actually a lot of ease. If you first pay attention to intuition and then talk with people and then they'll tell you, you know, what you really need to know about the places you're in. So, um, I, you know, I enjoyed Western Europe and I enjoyed Paris and Amsterdam and, uh, but, you know, I wanted to get in some simpler cultures also. So I spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe. Okay. Did you, would you say most of your conversations took place on the train or was it outside of the train? Yeah, that was an interesting uh, thing that came from this. Uh, what I found was that my introverted side, I was, I was just putting so much into finding these moments uh, and connecting with these moments genuinely in when I would be outside of the train. So then I was like, okay, I'll do this in the train also. But I found that I needed some space to recharge. Like I just couldn't recharge when I was creatively engaged. And so the train ended up kind of being my sanctuary. And I kind of ended up being the place where I'd get a bottle of wine and a book and, and wouldn't talk to as many people. Um, and so we still had some really incredible, I would say the single most uh, uh, powerful, <laughs> insane fucking story came from a train that I was taking from Budapest to Timisoara, uh, Romania. And so some of the very, very pivotal moments of this trip came from the train, but the large majority of them ended up coming from the world, like coming from these countries and I'd lead the train. Um, and, and so, and then also the trains, I wasn't fully, and I could have done better with this. Um, this was the first concept or the first, you know, chapter of this trip, but um, trains, we're kind of like airplanes and uh, you know, yeah, you're stuck in a, on an airplane with people and uh, you know, you could talk with people for four hours, but a lot of people like to have that time where they're not engaged in conversation that whole time. And, you know, they're taking a nap or they're, they're doing the same thing I'm doing, reading a newspaper and, you know, having a glass of wine. So, you know, that was hit or miss, but uh, there was more I had to learn from that to do better with it. I noticed some of the trains in Europe, not all of them are this way, but, no plane has this kind of setup where the seats face each other. And yeah. some of the trains have like compartments where you're sitting right across from each other, looking at each other, which is much more conducive to conversation yes. rather than looking to your left or to your right yes. to have a conversation with someone on a plane. Yeah. And that's really what it, what I ended up doing. Um, the, for me to like be able to solve that, what I ended up doing was, you know, again, very fortunate to have this, forever pass. Um, and that allowed me anything on the train. So business class or first class or whatever it was. Um, so what I would do was I would try to get these cabins with interesting looking people. And so I would just walk through, get on these trains and I would just walk through all the cabins and I'd look for someone sitting by themselves or maybe two people sitting by themselves. And then I would ask them, you know, and it, which is pretty common, like you usually don't have that cabin to yourself. And I would say, Hey, would you guys mind if I join you? Um, Again, one of the, the biggest moments was, yeah, a gentleman from uh, Budapest to Timshora. And then that's what I did. I, I saw this real interesting looking cat in a cabin by himself and asked to join him. And then another was where I sat in a cabin and the German military, members of the German military, knocked on my door and asked if they could sit with me. And that was just a crazy, wonderful, yeah, interactive time with them too. So some of it was spontaneous and some of it was... Uh, was uh, well, can we hear about this experience with the the Hungarian Romanian? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious. It's, yeah, yeah, you yeah, have to hear it. His uh, his picture and his story is in the book, also. Um, just and it's on the website also. But uh, it, so if anyone listening wants to see what he looks like, but um, older gentleman sitting by himself. Um, and another way that I have a phone, like, you know, it's people are sitting there staring at a phone. I usually don't stop and talk with them. And I'm not saying that's the right thing all the time, but this, I, I look for people that are sitting there introspective or contemplative and you can tell they're thinking, or you can tell they're ready. Like, you know, they'll, they'll sit and talk with you. And so this guy's just sitting there. Uh, I got a four and a half hour train ride going from, uh, Budapest to Timisoara. And I had actually, I was trying to take a train to, uh, Ljubljana, Slovenia, and I had missed my train by eight minutes. And so um, I hopped on this train by accident. Well, not by accident, but I hopped on the train by uh, because I missed that. 
And so I sit with them and uh, we start talking and, and what he told me was um, he had grown up in Hungary for all of his life. And uh, he, he was telling me about being a child in, in Hungary during the Hungarian uprising. And so he was very young. He was uh, 10, 11, 12 years old when, uh, and he grew up on a farm in uh, significant poverty. And during the Hungarian uprising, all, all the people that were out on the farms outside the cities had no clue what was happening. They didn't know if the world was gonna end or uh, what was gonna happen with it. And, uh, and so his mother had written a letter to, oh God, why am I drawing a blank on his name? The uh, Italian, Mussolini. So his mother had written a letter, a handwritten letter to Mussolini trying to understand what was happening in politics. And she had gotten a handwritten letter back. And the handwritten letter that she had gotten back from him, absolutely insane, um, was very erratic. It was very strange. It, like just the what he was talking about. And she, it was just overly just like the words were messy and what, he didn't go into a lot of detail, but he said that his mom got that letter back and said, Mussolini is going crazy. Like he's losing his mind and we have to escape. We have to leave. Like we're going to, things are going to get a lot worse because obviously don't TV and radio this time. So she told him, well, we can't leave the farm. So you need to go. You need to just go on foot. You need to make it to Austria and get out of here. And so they went around the farm and, and didn't have, they're extremely poor. And so all they could find was a sandwich, a hand grenade, and a pistol. And the mom said, take that, that's all we have, and just go. And on <laughs> foot, as a child, he had to go, and, uh, and I'm sorry, he was 16 at this time, he had to go and on foot try to walk across the entire country to make it to Austria, and then hopefully be able to send back for his parents and save them also. And so he said for that that first, so a couple of things are really interesting about this. For uh, Slavics, Russians are in the country and very, very dangerous because if, if they had found that he was trying to escape the country, he said many times they would have just shot and killed them. And, and he knew that. But at 16 at that time, you didn't have to have papers on you. You didn't have to have papers until you're 17. And so that saved his life by far. So he never actually had to be able to prove his documentation. Um, and he could always just say, I'm 16. I don't have any papers. And so they didn't know where he lived. So they couldn't really pinpoint that he was running. The other thing that saved his life was his dad was a mechanic. His dad was uh, worked in an auto shop. And so he, that was the only warm clothing they had. And so he wore that warm clothing across the whole country as he's walking across the whole country. And so whenever he'd be stopped by the, the Russians, he would just say to them, I'm going to work. I, I don't have time to talk, I'm going to work. And if they would ever like try to interrogate him, he'd just say, I gotta go to work, I'm in, in my uniform. And they never actually pushed him on that. And they just said, okay, go to work, fine. And he could also talk in Slavic. And so he was actually able to communicate with them, which likely he said a third thing also saved his life because yeah. he could like work through those problems. Mm -hmm. So he, he said for the first week, he survived on that sandwich. He took him for, he, he made that sandwich last for a week. And uh, then he's sleeping in hay bales and he's sleeping on, you know, under just because uh, it's winter time too. And he's finding sugar beets and he's just like, he's completely dying, but he, he's making a, enough to continue moving. And uh, he ends up finally making it to, there's a couple of things in between, but he finally ends up making it to this town. And he sees uh, these, it's a small village, and he sees these Russians coming out of the town. And he's walking into the town. And he sees guard towers all over. And when he sees the guard towers, he said they're about 300 feet apart, 100 meters. And so he didn't see anyone in them. So he figured it was okay to go into this village. And so he walked in and the Russians were coming out of the village. And the Russians said, hey, where do you think you're going? And the Russians had dogs on them. And he said, I'm going to work. I have no time to talk. And he said, uh, he just kept walking. And he had done that a couple of times. But he said, this time, that was such a big deal because uh, they would have seen that it, that town ended up being on the border and they would have interrogated him, seen he was from a different place, saw that he was running and killed him on the spot. And they, he said uh, the rail, the guy that was working the railroad ran out from the signal station and who saw it happen and said, you don't, I don't even know if you know how lucky you are because he knew what he was doing. And so he got to the village, realized he was on the border and he saw this 
field and on the other side of the field was a village and he was like hey i'm gonna just have some water and go to this village and when he was getting water he talked to some locals and they said no that village is in austria and that was extremely fortunate because if he would have just walked right then they would have stopped him and killed him so so many times he should have been killed in this process so he started to talk to locals and say well listen like this is what i'm doing and they were together in it because they're hungarians but uh they said, you need to go to this man's house. This is, uh, he's got a hen house, like a rooster hen house, and he'll probably let you sleep there. And uh, you need to hide like immediately and get there because it's daytime. And so he goes to this hen house and the guy was very apprehensive, but he said, fine, like you can sleep in the hen house and I'll wake you up in the middle of the night. And in the middle of the night is when you have to run across on foot. And so he falls asleep, guy wakes him up in the middle of the night and there's this extremely heavy fog. He said you couldn't even see more than like a meter or two in front of your face, extremely dense fog. And so the guy couldn't even point or tell him where to go because he couldn't see anything. So he just pointed a line and he said, if you follow this line, you'll eventually hit Austria if you just follow that line. So just keep going that line. And so again, he has nothing but hand grenade and a pistol at this point. And so he runs on foot and he just goes running as fast as he can through this dense fog. And he hits the railroad that signified the border itself. And it was, he had to go up the railroad and then, you know, the rail and then down the other side. Well, there was all these stones on for the hill for the railroad. And when he went up the stones, it made a, a lot of noise because there just wasn't much noise. And so they heard all the noise. So the Russians heard someone and obviously they're watching the border, but they couldn't see. So they heard someone say, so started shouting, 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 telling him to stop, 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 stop. And he just kept running and just kept going. He knew he would be dead if he stopped. And so, but he said, but they had dogs, remember? And so the dogs. And so he said, they couldn't see me, but they let go of the dogs. And I heard the dogs coming towards me. He said, but remember, I had the hand grenade. So this guy is on foot running. And he said, he just throws the hand grenade for the noise and he said i'll never know if it hit him or what happened but the noise itself scared the dogs enough where he was able to run across the border and the austrians captured him on the other side and then brought him into this community center and then protected him once he was right across that border and this is just literally a story of a guy sitting by himself in a train that i was just like hey what's going on like where are you from because like, random <laughs> And his story, that's the first part of it. And, and the second is on the website. Uh, it's longer, but yeah, it's just a cool guy. You never yeah, know. what's your website? <laughs> Give it a shout Hello, out. Hellofromastranger.com. Okay. Yeah, yeah that, that's, did, did he say anything about his family? What happened with his family? In the never did, movie? yeah. No. Never, okay. never did. I should have asked yeah. more questions about that. I was so enthralled in that story, though. Um, yeah, I bet. I bet. Is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Enjoy 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com. Do not travel to the Netherlands or anywhere for that matter with untamed nether regions. Elliot and I do not, and we bring this with us on our trips. On the Traveler's Blueprint, we promote concise travel planning, and part of that planning is making sure you pack appropriately. The Lawnmower 4.0 is lightweight, has a travel lock, a light for close shaving, and a battery length that will last long into your trips. You got it. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com. Your, Your balls, balls will, will thank, thank you. you. <laughs> he ended up shortening, but he ended up getting, they, they offered him, he said the Austrians were so good to them, and they offered him, a, a, you can go to Canada or America or Scotland, and he chose Scotland, uh, and he got a job at a uh, baking factory, and then he was just a laborer, total poverty, and then he ended up staging because they were stealing money out of his paycheck and everyone said yeah we're too poor to complain about it and he said fuck that i'm gonna complain and he staged a uh what do you call it like a strike he staged a strike in it and then the the founders uh, like all the employees were so impressed by him that they nominated him to run their union and he became a union boss and he became a very very powerful person at this time and so the whole story is just obscene. that's amazing. What an amazing wow. individual! <laughs> it, it, <laughs> that's incredible. Um, so, so I have a question, and this is like a packed question, honestly. Yeah. It's uh, but it is like 
what have you learned about people doing this? Thanks. That's a great question. Uh, So I don't have a TV. I don't, I've never had a TV. I absolutely am atrocious with phones. Um, I haven't had Instagram or TikTok in, in six months. We have a publicist for, for the, for my project, thankfully, but so I really honestly, genuinely have no clue. And I'm not saying that's good, but I just don't know what's going on with all the unrest or politics and stuff. And I stay out of that. I just connect with people to, cause I love people. And I, I've done, you know, all over the world, I'm very experienced with, I think the genuine nature of true humanity of who people really are. And there's nothing, and I mean, this is not even optimistic. This is realistic. There's nothing I've learned more than people are incredibly good. People love to help. People love to talk and share and be a part of your life. And they love to share the things that they love about their life. And they love to welcome you to their homes and they love to share meals and they love to cook you a meal to go and call you a week later, or a month later, or, or six months later and welcome you back. And, and people are just freaking good. And, and I have tried so hard and uh, not for any reason other than just to be rational when I communicate this, because I don't want people to be like, oh, yeah, great. But um, I've tried as hard as I can to prove the opposite of that. And I've gone to Caracas, Venezuela, the murder capital of the world, lived in Mexico for three and a half years. Um, I, I spent five weeks in Jamaica, so I'd be in a country where I was always the minority um, as a white guy, where I'd always, I always stuck out and I had to earn that respect. I tried so hard to prove the opposite, and I've never been able to. People are really, really good. Yeah, yeah, they are. So, so I think true wealth, and I think most people would agree with this, uh, whether they realize it or not, but like true wealth. I think personally is in the joy you get from the relationships you have. And most people immediately think about their family, right? Their kids or their, their siblings, their parents. And, and, but it goes beyond that because people then uh, also try to form those relationships with, with strangers and, and uh, distant friends and friends of friends. And you try to accumulate as much wealth as you can with these multiple relationships Um Genuine relationships. Yeah, yeah. Because I I think there are a lot of people that have conversations, they have acquaintances, they'll have like 3,000 friends on Facebook, but do they actually know those people? Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, Adam, you may not know those people in the sense that you know everything about them, you know what what their goals are, what their family's like, but you know enough that if you saw them again, they would be comfortable seeing you. They'd be happy to see you. And you, you mentioned it in the beginning, I think vulnerability in conversation goes further than anything else you could do more than just giving someone money, right? That's not genuine. That's just saying, here's 10 bucks to talk to me. No, you being vulnerable with people makes them feel more willing to be vulnerable with you. Absolutely. Every single time, uh, like people, you know, a, a lot of people obviously say like, how do I create meaningful relationships? And, uh, how do I create the depth and relationships that you're able to find? And, and I say, well, you know, it always starts with you because you need to have a demeanor, a vulnerability that tells someone intuitively, not with words, but intuitively that they should be vulnerable with you. And, uh, with that body language and that communication and, and how they feel intuitively around you, they're going to know not just that they trust you on, on a real deep, actual level. They're going to also know that you're listening. And that's really, really important because, you know, it, we've all talked a lot to people that have very busy minds and, you know, there's a thousand things and, and they ask questions and, you know, they, they, I'm not even saying they don't mean well, they do mean well, but their mind's too busy for them to actually be paying attention to what you're really saying. And so then that limits how much people will share with you because they, what they have to share is really important to them. And sometimes some of these people, it, it, you know, it, it really breaks my heart, but it also fuels this project. Uh, I've had quite a few strangers that within minutes of me saying hello are already crying with me and then already tell me, I haven't even told this to my wife or I haven't even told this to my dad or I haven't even told, and I'm telling this to a freaking stranger on the street. And it's like, well, what's going on here? You know, uh, because this is, because I always use this to reaffirm to all of us and me, my myself included, that 
we need to be that kind of person for the relationships that we do have in our lives and put the phone away. Um, you can still do that and still have that. But when you're, when you're with people having a real conversation, make that what's really important, not just to you, but to them and, and watch how much that helps mental health, how much that helps with relationships and uh, just a feeling that you're able to share your life because we need to talk through stuff as we're working through them. Yeah. Two questions. One, um, how long are these conversations or do they vary in length? Totally vary. Yeah. It's really funny because, uh, you know, I do this in America a lot too. And uh, the world is, especially third world countries, uh, again, simpler cultures, they have a lot more time to talk and they're a lot easier to talk with because, you know, they're not running to another place, but also it, it just goes like third world countries build their entire like everything is about relationships because they don't have all the the comforts, you know, and so they need to share with their and ask their neighbors for help and stuff like that. Um, and then in America, it's, it's it's hit or miss. But uh, but I've gotten to a point now where uh, a funny shift in this was that I've really noticed was I used to ask everyone for the photograph. Hey, you know, uh, you know, and, and I I learned the vulnerability side of it, and I was able to ask for vulnerability. But I'd say, you know, can I get this photograph? And I'd find that you'd give people a second to go back in their safety zone and people will choose the safer route a lot of times and, and that's okay, but can I? And then they get to say, yeah, you know, that means I can say no and it's not gonna offend them. Now, like I'm just so freaking excited um, and I love what's coming out of all this. And I don't ask anymore. I just say, holy shit, like just saw this picture and I gotta get and like stand right there. I gotta get this real quick and hold on. I'm gonna get this picture and I go back and people will give me the genuine emotion and a real smile and I get the picture. And then they, and I ask them like, why'd you let me have that picture? And they're just like, are you joking? Like you were so passionate and your energy was so like on fire. I didn't have a chance to say no. And like, you know, and then we can really like, you know, talk through that. But with, by doing that, I do have some people that will let me, they'll stop. Let me take this intimate photograph of them. And then they will be gone before I can even show them the picture on the back of the camera. And it just blows my mind. I'm like, you don't want to know what I'm going to do with that or who I am or like, you know, what, where I'm going to put that picture. And, and so you have everything on both sides of the spectrum. Um, and, I, and I've had quite a few situations where I've gone back and met their families. and I've spent the night at their homes and then I've flown back to see them at a later date. So, yeah, on all sides of the spectrum. That's awesome. So the second question I have for you, the purpose of this journey was to get out of your own head and find some way to get back to yourself and get into a good state of mental health. It seems like you've achieved that. Um, where are you now? How do you feel? Mental health is a, yeah, mental health is a lifelong journey. And I'll always remind people that. Um, and, and another reason I, I just wanted to get rid of all my social media because I just wanted to tell people like, you know, people see the highlight reel and they say, okay, Adam's, he's got it. He's, found success with this and he's taken off and Adam's all good now. And I, I tell people in person all the time, I'm not, I don't have it all figured out and I still need you to check in on me. And I, I still need you to, you know, I, I definitely, as a creative, I go through these big ruts and in those ruts, I still get pretty depressed. And uh, th there's nothing that I am more grateful for with this entire journey, more than any amount of, I, I don't give a shit about, I don't want the fame or the money. I've never made one penny with this entire project um, still to this date. Um, I just wanted to, I, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I, I wanted to teach myself how to continue to be emotionally vulnerable and, and to ask for the things that I needed when I was in those low, dark moments. And the beauty of that is people know that they can ask me for the same and then we get to share that together um, so when I get into those ruts now, I don't sit there in a hole and wait until I, I start to think about suicide. I start as soon as I feel that, and it happens quite a bit, um, I, you know, at least a few times a year, um, I reach out to this beautiful community that I've been able to forge genuinely all over the world. And I say, Hey, I'm going through some stuff. Like, can we talk? And they say, absolutely. And, and I'm kind of pissed at the world because now they won't let me give up. Now I can't, uh, you know, not only as a, as an example that I try to be for all of us with our mental health. Um, but, but also, you know, um, like it, I, I just forge everything I can with my time now to, to try to inspire people to ask for help. So I need to continue doing the same too, to be a part of that. 
Yeah, I think at least in the United States, I think mental health is still a very touchy subject for most people. And physical ailments are one thing. People are like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You broke your leg. We can talk about that. How did it happen? How did all this? And then once you get into deeper emotions and you talk about anxiety, you talk about depression, you talk about a close family member passing away, people shy away from it. Um, people that are that are their friends or family may not want to discuss it. People that are actually going through it don't seem necessarily interested in discussing it. And I think there's a lot of truth in being vulnerable and actually going through that conversation with people, opening up about it, and then you really start to feel and actually start to heal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because again, they, they'll hopefully be able to come to you maybe the next time and say, look, remember you were telling me about this, like I'm feeling that too, and I'm going through that. And uh, it, it's important to remind us that we're not alone in our mental health struggles and that it's actually extremely common. Mm -hmm. um, but if we look at social media all the time and are distracted, or um, it's very easy to feel like I'm in hell right now and I don't want to burden my friends by bringing them into my hell also, even though your friends would love to be a part of uh, being a true, genuine friend to you if you give them the opportunity. Um, but it, yeah, if we don't exercise that, that um, immersive part of relationships of just sharing and reminding that we're not the only one facing these things. And it's easy to feel like we're the only one that's going through hell. Yeah. It's not the case. This has been incredibly insightful and very inspirational, man. Um, yeah. That this entire journey is that, that you've taken us through um, has been incredible. What are your plans for the future? Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's pretty uncomfortable now because uh, I'll truthfully say, like, when I started this, no one had a clue. I went on this trip. I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. I didn't, I didn't, you know, like I didn't make this to uh, to get a show or to have a book or anything like that. And uh, I'm a true creative. Like, I don't like spotlight. I'm very uncomfortable when people are like. Your, your work is great and stuff like that. I like to be in the shadows. And so what's happening now is uh, it's kind of taken on a life of its own. And we have a, I'm very grateful for a very, very uh, dedicated team that's around me now. We have a, a great director, uh, producers and great publicist. And so um, I, I had the, I came back from this project and I did a TED talk in this project uh, on, on pretty much everything that we talked through on, on the inception. From the TED Talk, it turned into a book. And from the book, um, it turned into, it just kept growing. And from that, um, I get a lot of people that say, what does this really look like? Like, you know, how do you, uh, and also, you know, a lot of people think I, I'm this perfect speaker and I know exactly how to connect with everybody. And I'm awkward as shit. And I always tell that to people. But uh, so I, you know, and, and people are like, well, yeah, what, okay, you can do this, but I can't. And I'm like, yeah, you fucking can, because I still have no clue what I'm doing. Um, I'm just vulnerable and awkward. So I wanted to show <laughs> it. I wanted to really show more what it looked like. And I want to show the messiness. I want to, I still get rejected. Like, and I want to show what that looks like. And it still sucks. It still hurts. And I still sit there and I'm like, God, that, you know, hurts my pride a little bit, but uh, we'll keep going. So that combined with Tony, Bourdain leaving us too early, very inspired by Tony, obviously, uh, huge fan. And, you know, also really resonate with the kind of artist and traveler he was like, he didn't give a shit about the fame. Like he was just trying to save himself from the hole. And, you know, he had his drug issues and relationship issues, and he was just out there to remind himself why he should stay alive. Um, and, uh, and, and I really pay attention to that. And so from all that, um, I wanted to film it. I wanted to show people um, what it actually looks like and why it is something I think that we all can do. Um, and I think it'll make sense once people see it. And so when I, I pitched to networks, they were all like, oh, great, you do it. You go spontaneously to countries and you just walk up to strangers and get stories like, cool, but does it work all the time? Does it work some of the time? Uh, what, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Is it forced and so um so again i realized we just had to show it so me and a cameraman flew to new york city last january actually for new year's eve last year and we did a proof of concept seven days new york city fucking love new york city such a brutally hard place to connect but actually they're honest and people that are honest like I, i'm a very straightforward person 
So if you're honest, then I can connect with you. Even if you're an asshole, like I like that because you know it's at least truthful. Whereas like LA is like passive aggressive and it's like, mm-hmm. I don't even know what you're telling me right now. Um, <laughs> we did a proof of concept in New York City, worked very, very well. Never knew what it would look like uh, if people would share such intimate emotions and stories with me, if they knew that they were being filmed. So we, I, we also had to test that. I didn't even know what that'd be like. And uh, it was very, it was incredible. And so did a proof of concept and then flew to Guadalajara in Mexico City for two weeks, zero planned, zero production, and me and one cameraman, and we filmed our pilot there. And so we just finished up our pilot about a month ago, and uh, now we go out back out to networks to hope it gets picked up as a uh, really like I would never say I, this is we're trying to replace Tony. Uh, it's not even close. It's just we're trying to fill a little bit of that hole that was left in programming that is not reality tv and it's not production it's somewhere in the middle of like the truth in humanity and something to hopefully rejuvenate people's perspective on on the quality of humanity and really the beauty of humanity um all around us so that's where we're at right now i think there's absolutely a hole to fill there man and i'm looking forward to to seeing what you come up with that that raw that raw uh human interaction is is incredible it's addicting too it's addicting to watch those are the best uh, documentaries and and looking forward to it. Where can people find like what what I know you do you do have social media right? So where can yep. people follow you for more information? Watch your story progress. Give a shout out to I know you said your website, but say your website, your social media, the book, the title of the book, where people can buy it. Yes, yeah, so um, everything's on hellofromastranger.com. I do all that myself, um, and there's a blog. Um, second book's going to be a lot more of my writing. And so if you want to get a better idea of like the behind the scenes, it's very vulnerable. It's very messy, very chaotic. I'm still going through that process. So, um, and on that there's a, there's a link for the book. Um, and then, uh, with every book, I'm going to do a handwritten note from everybody that comes with it. Um, and during the holidays, I actually include a second book for some, for everyone to give away to someone that they feel might be going through lonely holidays are tough for people. So the second book included for free with every single one to give away. Um, social media is hello.from.a.stranger on Instagram. And then I think that's the same on TikTok. Um, right. But I think you can just Google hello from a stranger TikTok or something like that. Yeah. Um, and go, to the, go to your website and find them as well. But yeah, everything's through the website. Yeah. And then, um, and then I, I do the blog myself and everything. All right. Well, uh, that that concludes the conversation, but it rolls us into the next part of this podcast. Adam, I hope you're ready for the fire round. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we have five questions. We switched it up. So we should say to, to regular listeners of the podcast, we decided to tone it down. We did have 10 questions. We brought it down to five that we really think are the most important. Um, let's just jump into them. Elliot, I'll go first if you don't yeah. mind. And real quick, uh, you want like first answer that comes to my mind? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or first answer, and it doesn't have to be short. Doesn't have to be one word. It's okay, whatever cool. comes there. Okay, yeah, I like, I like it. So, all right, Adam. What is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Airplanes. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, what travel book had the biggest influence on your life? Ooh, uh, on the road, Jack Kerouac. Uh, probably read it. 10 times and i just read it again last week um yeah absolutely dean moriarty i don't know if you guys have read it but if you know it's back in the 40s and two guys uh real story two guys that had no money backpacking through america and all they wanted to do was just chase whatever made them feel most alive it's just an unbelievable book and it just because of the time uh back in the 40s when that was very frowned upon to to be that kind and and they were just two messy travelers Sal was a writer and Dean was a, a wild, just a wild cat. I'll add it to my list. I've been forming my uh, my 2022 reading list. <laughs> so so I'll add it to that. Read it in like two days. You'll just dump it. Yeah. Um, all right. So question number three. From these options, what aspect of travel has the biggest impact on your experiences? History, architecture, food, or people? i mean it's people but people connect all those things back into it you know uh yeah it's definitely people right but i think the greatest way to travel again tony but all of us people like this is is go to a place 
don't have any plans, maybe, yeah, have a place if that makes you like a place to sleep and that's okay. It's good to have a sanctuary, but then go out to locals and say, tell me where to go. Tell me what to do. And they will tell you the best, the greatest, the most unique things that actually create that culture that is, is the best part about their country. So just trust them. They'll lead you right where you need to be every time. Yeah, well said. I agree with that. Yeah. With, with a short answer, tell us one thing travelers should not do. Mm, uh, well, yeah, don't walk around with your phone out. Don't walk around with wealth showing, gold chains, or are you know in uh like just yeah just try to keep a low profile and yeah a part of that is necessary to know because a lot of third world countries and you do deal with uh situations but um number one thing is do not stay to yourself when you're traveling you're traveling into a new country learn from the people and learn from the communities and learn the actual culture fuck your all-inclusive Go sleep in, a, in an Airbnb and, and talk to the host and tell that host where you're from and what you want to see. And they will tell you everything that you need to know. Um, and if that it terrifies you, even better. You should do that. And yeah. if you want to know, like, if there's an uh, actual fear of danger, that's okay. Um, but look through it before you go to a place. Look at statistics and numbers and, and then just try to uh, squash that fear as much as you're able to before so that you can just be open to the place that you're in. And then just pay attention. Whenever you're going through places, leave your phone at home and just pay attention. You, you'll be blown away how fucking smart you are mm-hmm. if you're just looking and listening. And also because you're out of your comfort zone, you're memorizing everything. Your brain knows it. And you'll, you'll be blown away. Yeah, you'll be blown away how much you remember. You'll be like, I've never remembered this in America. But now you're in this new world, a new place. And you'll remember like cracks in the sidewalk or, you know, ladies yelling out of a window and like, you can be 10 miles away from your place and no map and you'll remember exactly how to get back because you're yeah, yeah. attention the whole time. We, we've established the difference between travel and vacation mm-hmm, in this right. podcast over the last several years. And travel is what you just described. Vacation is the beach, the all-inclusive. It's, it's, it is literally a break while it might be traveling to get there. It is not the broad sense of the communal travel. Yeah. And I don't, uh, and I respect the vacation. Like I, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to Mexico and enjoy a beach, you know, you should. I'm just saying uh, if you truly want to soak up the reason of why, because if you're going to Mexico to go, you're, you want to eat real Mexican food and you want to hear Spanish and you want to listen to real Mexican food, um, then and just go out outside of that and, and you'll still be safe. You'll still be fine as long as you're paying attention and you'll still have the beaches. Um, but you'll have a real experience uh, that is really something you'll remember and your family will remember. Mm-hmm. And this is where I got my start from as a child. All right. And last question. What is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself 10 years ago? Mm, I like that question a lot. 10 years ago. Yeah, I would have said, uh, know what you're, know what you're running from. And, and stop and think about what you're running from. Um, my dad used to ask me, are you running from something or to something? And I always used to say I'm running to something because it, it sounded like I knew what I was doing, but the truth was I didn't. And I ended up running from stuff because uh, I was heartbroken and I, I was you know, working through my own stuff. I, I ran from stuff so, so long that it became me running to the life that I wanted to live. And so it's, I think it's it's, I would tell myself that it's okay to run, but stop and, and just, you know, immerse yourself into a place so that you're not always alone in your travels. Cause there was lots of years where I was alone in those travels. Cause I was always running. And uh, now I'm always running, but I'm always, I, I feel like I'm connecting the world around me because um, I at least have a, an idea of where I want my life to go from here. Adam. Thank you for coming on the Traveler's Blueprint podcast today. We really appreciate your time. It's been an incredible conversation. Elliot, do you have, you have something? You have two more people that you can call anytime you need. I appreciate yeah. it. Same goes with me too. Absolutely. I really Absolutely. Need. Yeah. Yeah. Let's stay connected. And and as you continue to expand on your travels, hopefully we can have you back on and, and get I updated. Like I would like that a lot. I really appreciate the time. I love podcasts because it's conversational. And uh, I know you guys have a million people to talk to, so I, I appreciate the time. You guys give me some great questions here. So hope to connect in person sometime. Yes, thank definitely. you. Thanks, Adam. My pleasure, guys. Talk to you soon.
I thought I liked meeting people before this podcast, and I did. You know, travel, meeting people during my travels was was huge. But now there's a new level to it, and I realized that regardless of what situation, I mean, if I see somebody that looks as though they're somewhat approachable, not on their phone, as Adam said, I think I'm going to go for it. Why not? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Rejection, apparently, which is expected. It's the worst, right? That's the worst thing that can happen is that you get turned away. It's yeah. not all that bad, is it? It seems like you could deal with that, yeah. uh, you know? So, um, so I, that, I don't know if you've done this, but I know that I've talked to a lot of people and there are certain people that are like, I hate small talk. I hate small talk. I just don't want to do it. And you can't, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before early on. You can't have in-depth conversations without small talk and small talk is an art. And I've actually read since starting this podcast, I think you and I have read a few books on how to do small talk so that we can get deeper into the conversations with people. And I've applied that outside the podcast and the real world as well. And it, yeah. it helps. Yeah. It really helps. And then just listen to people. Listening is proven to make people like you more. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, talking about listening, I don't think I was the best listener in the world prior to this podcast. And I'm still not the best listener in the Sorry, world. What was that? <laughs> but this this podcast forcing us forcing ourselves into conversations with people really has expanded on my ability to listen and pay attention be an active listener engaged in conversation it's something that that's been it it, it feels better for you too uh to be able to pull some but something from the for conversations me or our listeners, no i'm kidding but, but it, it is <laughs> it is it is something that is i wish podcasts were able to do better is be able to interact with our with our listeners right you and i can have a conversation with each other and with our guests but all of our listeners if you want to send us a question please do it on instagram do it on facebook comment send us an email and we can add that to our conversation next time it won't be direct dialogue but at least we can give you some answers absolutely a q and a right yeah. that would yeah. be pretty fun to have too so yeah so okay. thank you for listening if you want to support the show check out manscape.com you can use the code ttb at checkout for 20 percent off and you can support us through patreon or an easy way to support us non-financially is through just leaving us a review on itunes or whatever other podcast platform you listen on thanks stay safe stay healthy and tune in next week